Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. If you brought your Bibles, I want you to turn to Philippians 2. Turn to Philippians 2. If you weren't here last week, we started a new series in the book of Philippians. We're going to be hitting chapter 2 tonight. To catch you up a little bit, here's a little bit of the context of Philippians so that we're all on the same page. Philippians is in the New Testament, so Jesus has already come. He's already died, risen. He's already sent his disciples out. The church is going. The church is doing well. And then up comes this guy who is Saul, who is persecuting the church, but now he's Paul. And and he's writing letters to the church as he's proclaiming the gospel from city to city. So what we find here in Philippians is that Paul is writing writing to a church in Philippi, that's why it's called Philippians, and, thanks Prem, um, and, and he is writing this letter from prison. He's writing it from prison. He's not writing it from a comfy desk or a comfy office with coffee right next to him. No, no, no. He is in chains literally for the gospel, but his zeal for the Lord and his zeal for the people of God is leading him to write a letter to the people of Philippi. He's calling them to endure in their faith, and he's calling them forward to not be ashamed of the gospel, but to rise up and proclaim the gospel boldly. So this is the context of the book of Philippians, and last week, uh, Miss Catherine beautifully talked about chapter one, and how Paul is really writing from this place of joy, and his joy was found in knowing Christ, his joy was found in community, and his joy was found in the midst of of suffering. And we talked about that, how following Jesus, though it be costly, though it be difficult, though it costs us everything, there is a great joy in following Jesus. And I hope each and every one of you have a story or testimony or even maybe experiencing that now, that following Jesus, though it may be costly, though the yes brings suffering, there's also moments and a lifestyle of joy that we are invited into as the people of God. So now I want to pick right up in chapter 2, verse 1. It's going to be up on the screen for you as well. Paul writes, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Let's take a moment and pause and pray. For some of you, this might be the first silence you've had in a while. But there's space for it. This is a safe place here. This morning as I woke up and I thought of you guys, I was reminded of a story of Jesus talking to this woman, Martha. 
And Martha's sister, Mary, is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And meanwhile, Martha's running all over the place. She's engaging in the hustle of life. She's busy, she's distracted, she's anxious. But Jesus just stops her right where she is and he looks at her in the eye. And I want you to picture Jesus looking you in the eye. And now imagine him saying your name. In the text, he says, Martha, Martha. But tonight he's saying, Trevor, Trevor. He's saying, Trey, Haven, Asha. He's saying your name and he's looking you in the eye tonight. And he's saying, you are worried and upset about many things. (laughs) But only one thing is needed. Only one thing is needed. Jesus is referring to Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. She could have been busy. She could have been distracted. She could have been upset about many things. Yet she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says, Mary has chosen what is better. So here we are, Jesus. We're sitting at your feet, listening to your words. This is the word of God being preached and proclaimed. And we need you to speak. We need your words. Not my words, not not my clever ideas. No, 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 God, we need your spirit to speak to us and we need your word to do what only your word can do, which is to comfort, to challenge, to call out, to commission. So Holy Spirit, we make space for you right here and right now. Would you speak to us? Would this be be more than just a message? Would this be an encounter with the living God tonight? All across this room, if you're ready, if you believe these words, I just want you to say, I make room for you, Holy Spirit. And now we're just gonna say this together. Repeat after me. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. So Lord, have your way tonight in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everyone said, amen. So okay, so here we are, Philippians 2. Paul is, is kicking it off with talking about, hey, if you've had any encouragement from the gospel, if the gospel has meant anything to you, make my joy complete in one thing. And he points to love and relationships. He's talking about make my joy complete by being like-minded, having one mind, loving one another. And I think it's really important to lean into those opening words from Paul because once again, remember, he's sitting in prison. He's in prison, so, and, and Paul really doesn't know if tomorrow is guaranteed. He's not, once again, sitting from a comfy place. He's really wondering if this could be the last letter he ever writes. This could be the last day he ever lives. And so for him to make a statement, hey, if you've had any encouragement from from the gospel, if there's one thing I could say to you, this is what Paul chooses to say. He calls us to love one another. He's emphasizing love, relationships, and unity. 
It's a big deal to him. And I want to ask the question, why? Why is Paul emphasizing this out of all of the things he could be um, emphasizing in this letter? Why love and relationships? And I think there's a couple reasons why. One, I think it's because Paul knows what Jesus knows. Paul knows what Jesus knows, and that is that we as the church will be known by our love. We will be known by our love. Jesus talks about this in John 13. We can pull it up on the screen. Jesus says to his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What Jesus is saying here is that love is the most central witness we have to the world, that this whole church, this whole gospel thing, this whole Jesus thing is real. It's not going to be your theology. It's not going to be our political stances. It's not going to be our building. It's not going to be our worship songs. But, But Paul is saying to the church and he's saying to us today, you are going to be known by the way you love people. You and I are going to be known by the way we love people. The second thing that Paul emphasizes is this. It's going to be up on the screen. Paul knows our relationships are a reflection of our hearts. Our relationships are a reflection of our hearts. Let's go up to 1 John 4. 1 John 4 says this. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So not only will we be known by our love, but our love and our relationships are actually a reflection of where our hearts are at. And I feel like it's really important for me to say this tonight because I think this is for some of us in the room. And I need you to hear me say this. We can't love God, but mistreat his bride. We can't claim with our words that we love Jesus, but we mistreat the people around us. We can't spend 20 minutes at the beginning of a youth service and we're saying about how much, how beautiful Jesus is and praise forever to the King of Kings, but with those same lips, use them to tear other people down. We can't claim that we love Jesus on a Wednesday night, but then on a Thursday morning, our friends at school would say something completely different about us. Are you guys tracking with me so far? Oh, you guys are quiet. Are you guys tracking with me so far? Am I making sense? Okay, we have to catch this tonight. We can't claim to love Jesus, yet mistreat his bride. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves his church. And Jesus gave his life for the person to your left and to your right. So how could we say with a clean conscience that we love Jesus, but we have a trail of broken friendships and relationships behind us? Those are two really separate realities that I think Jesus is inviting us to look into today. Why? Because we as the church will be known by our love and our relationships are a reflection of our hearts. And so Paul goes on in Philippians 2 and then he talks about, Paul in his talk about love and relationships, he begins to emphasize the issue. What is fracturing these relationships It's because that Paul knows the issue of our love and relationships is the human heart. 
The issue here, the reason why there is broken relationship, the reason why we can say that we love God yet mistreat the people around us, the issue is our hearts. It's not the church's fault. It's not your family's fault. It's not someone else's fault. This is an issue of our hearts. And we're being invited to look into our hearts. And so in Philippians, Paul points out the human heart issue. So he says in verse three, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So let's define those terms. What is Paul talking about when he says selfish ambition or vain conceit? If you were to look at the Greek and if you were to look into those uh, words, these are the concepts that Paul is getting at. When he's talking about selfish ambition, he's talking about the, the concerted effort to put yourself forward. He's talking about the effort of of trying to stand out among everyone else. Does that make sense with selfish ambition? It's trying to put yourself forward. And then when he's talking about vain conceit, the concept he's going after, if you were to study that Greek word, the concept it's, it's getting after in vain conceit is groundless, empty pride which I think is actually really funny because there's like pride that you can like say like you're really good at something, but I love that vain conceit is pride with like no grounding. It's like saying like, I'm an amazing singer, but you're not, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Or it's like saying like you're an amazing athlete, but you're just not. Like that's a groundless like claim, like you're just not all of that. But the reality is selfish ambition, vain conceit. Paul is highlighting the issue of the human heart. Now, I think if we were to be honest here, I actually think, the issue he's really, he's highlighting here is the issue of pride. Everyone say pride. Raise your hand if you do not struggle with pride. (laughs) Yeah. And if you raise your hand, (laughs) you just hold on yourself. Guys, pride is the thing. Pride is the issue that every single one of us struggle with. I was driving here today and I was thinking about like, man, what we're like, just the worst pride moments that I can think of. I, I remember for me, like as a kid, I was just that achiever. Do we have like any achievers in the room? Do we have any achievers? <laughs> I see you, Sophia. I see you, Sophia. I knew one hand was going up. We got some achievers in the room. Maybe it was for you, it was like academics. For me, it was not academics. My, my role in academics was not success. It was survival for sure. Uh, and I did, I'm here, I'm here, I'm a pastor. <laughs> Growing out my hair, like I, I definitely did okay. Um, so it wasn't academics for me, but it was definitely like the extracurriculars. Um, you guys may or may not know this. I am actually a black belt in Taekwondo. Uh, the fact that my wife is laughing at me just shows you how cool that is. So awesome. It's not a, like a really cool martial arts, Taekwondo. And it's not until you're a black belt in Taekwondo that you actually start learning stuff that would be helpful in a fight. So I just always table. It's a, it's a performance martial art. It's, yeah, I'm not going to show you. Um, I'm not going to show you anything. Pastor Chase knows a lot of good and effective things. So Pastor Chase is the true black belt. But I remember, I remember being in martial arts as an elementary school kid, as a junior high kid. And I remember growing up, I was always like trying to get the compliments. Do we have any teacher's pet, pets in here? Yeah, you know where it's like you work a little bit extra hard not to do well necessarily, but just so that like the coach or the teacher's like, hey, great job, Victor. Or hey, guys, do do it like Victor. Hey, did you guys see how Victor did? Man, that like fed my soul like an In-N-Out burger, but it was bad for my ego like those In-N-Out fries. You know what I'm talking about? 
It was that kind of thing. It was that kind of thing. But I remember going all the way, like all the way. It was like the belt before black belt. It was called Red Executive. I don't know why. It's a really, they had like Red, Red Senior, and Red Exec. I feel like they were just waiting for people to quit along the way. It's like, how many hoops do you have to jump through to do very ineffective martial arts? But anyway, um, so I'm a Red Executive. I'm in junior high. And I remember so clearly there was this like certain title you could have, which was just being like a team captain. And when I look back, being a team captain meant absolutely nothing, but it was a title. And I was like, I want that. Like, I want that title. So I remember it was like a couple weeks they were evaluating like who were kind of the best in like our little black belt class. And I remember it was me and it was Dylan Ward. There was this kid named Dylan Ward. Now here's the thing. I was this like little like five foot Hispanic with a lot of heart. Dylan, to his credit, was like also five foot, but he was this like super good looking, like super buff, ripped, like, you know, like those just like super athletic kids, like from like a young age, don't even try hard, but they're just naturally athletic. He was that kid. He was that kid. And so while I'm like wanting to be this like kick butt, like martial artist, he's like making parkour videos. He can do like backflips and like jump off of buildings and look really cool. I like played guitar and like could sing like old new life songs, you know, like that was, that's what I was working with here. But I remember it was like, I knew it was kind of like, I've got everybody else, but it's like me and it's Dylan, like, and I gotta, I gotta get this guy. And so I'm like, you know, I'm trying to outdo him. And what I think is so funny is that he probably didn't think twice about it, but it's like, for me, it's like my all consuming reality is like be black belt team captain. Why? I don't know, but it's a title and I want it. And meanwhile, Dylan's just being a stud and he's not even trying. Uh, You guys can probably guess who was picked as team captain. It was not me. It was Dylan. And I remember week after week going to practices and just being so annoyed being so annoyed that's like, man, why did they choose him? But I completely lost this, the fact that I was about to like finish becoming a black belt for what it's worth. Like I was like about to finish this like journey that took me years. I completely missed out on the moment because I was, I was prideful and I was comparing myself to this just hulk of a man who was five foot, Dylan Ward, eighth grader. Gosh, <laughs> I remember, I remember in, in college, I remember I was leading worship here for kids and I was growing up doing, like doing the whole worship thing. And I remember coming to ORU and they had this chapel team. It was called ORU Live. It was, it was a really cool thing. And I remember like I wanted to be on that team so bad. And I felt like I had a pretty good chance. I was like, yeah, I've, I've done a lot of worship leading. I can do this. But then there was this other freshman his name was Evan. <laughs> Evan. Now he was not five foot. He was like six foot five. Uh, and I was like five foot five at this point, still skinny Hispanic, like trying to sing, but really has like a lot of energy, but probably struggles a lot vocally. Meanwhile, Evan had this like beautiful, like raspy tone to his voice. It was like, mm, like elevation should have called him because he was like, good. But I remember all the freshman year was kind of that thing. Does anyone know what I'm talking about when it's like, you feel like you're pitted up against this like person and you're never going to say it. And you're going to say all the right Christian things like, oh yeah, you know, I'm so for Evan, man. I hope he does great. You know, like get behind me. Like (laughs) I'm getting this, like I'm going to make it on this chapel team. And I remember auditioning and I remember the callbacks came and the only freshman on the callback list, you can probably guess who it was, was Victor Mendoza and Evan. There was Evan again. And I'm like, man, I, I don't know how this is going to go. Long story short, it didn't happen. 
I didn't make the chapel team. Not one, not two, but three years in a row. I actually didn't make the chapel team. Uh, I needed to do a lot of work on my worship leading. But I, I point that out because once again, I think we all get in these mindsets, whatever we're involved in, whatever we're doing, whatever we're passionate about, the enemy comes in with pride. And here's the reality with, with pride. When I look back at those, you know, small things like Taekwondo or, or a chapel team, all of those things that I grew up wanting to do and things didn't work out. Here's what I found is that pride was eating me alive from the inside. And I don't know about you. I don't know if you have eyes to see it. I don't know if you're aware of it, but pride is knocking at your door. It was knocking at my door and it still knocks at my door to this day. And I have to fight it day after day. And I'm here to let you know you're in that same fight. And here's why this is important. Because once again, going back to Philippians 2, Paul is talking about love and he's talking about relationships and he's saying, I I want you to be of one mind. I want you to love one another because once again, we'll be known by our love and, and and our love and our relationships are a reflection of our heart. But the issue is the human heart. Why? Because pride fractures relationships. Pride fractures relationships. I want you to think for a second. Think about the relationships in your life that are maybe fractured right now or the tension in relationships. I can guarantee you, maybe it's not you. It probably is you a little bit, but I guarantee you there's somewhere in there, pride is in that mix. In you, in the other person or in the, in the group, Maybe it's in both of you, but I guarantee you, if you look at the broken relationships in your life, you will find pride somewhere in there. Why? Because pride fractures relationships. And here's, here's my, my why. Here, here's the reason why I can believe that is because when we look back, when we look all the way back to the very first sin, the very first sign of brokenness in humanity, humanity, when we look back at Genesis 3, what do we find? We see a serpent, we see Adam and Eve, and we see in the garden the serpent plays to the pride of Adam and Eve. It wasn't about the fruit. It was about disobedience and it was about pride. But what does the enemy say? He says, you know, did God really say you must not eat of any tree? And Adam or Eve and the serpent go back and forth. But what does the serpent say that turns the conversation? He says, hey, if you eat this, you will be like, if you eat this, you will be like, he's playing to their pride because the enemy knows this, that somewhere deep in our brokenness, each and every one of us want to be like God. And you're like, no, I don't. Yes, you do. (laughs) You know why? Because all of us want to be in control. All of us want to be on the throne. All of us want to write the story of our own lives. All of us want to be the ones that decide what's right and wrong. All of us, deep down, because of our brokenness, because of sin, have this desire to be God. So what does the enemy do? He plays to that. He plays to their pride. He says, hey, if you do this, you will be on a whole other level. Remember, selfish ambition, trying to get ahead, trying to distinguish yourself. He plays to that. And so Adam and Eve take the fruit. And what does it do? It fractures their relationship with God. They go out of the garden. They can't come back. 
their relationship with God is fractured. But it doesn't just stop at that relationship, but you don't have to look more than a chapter later to see pride at work again as Cain murders his brother Abel. Look at the story, right? We have Abel who's giving this costly, beautiful worship offering to the Lord. But Abel, or, and Cain in his frustration looks at his brother Abel giving the beautiful worship and out of his pride and out of his comparison, he murders his brother Abel. So not only does pride fracture our relationship with God, but pride fractures our relationships with each other. The issue here, brothers and sisters, is our human heart. There is pride in each and every one of us and I think it's the kindness of God, it's the kindness of the Lord to draw our attention to that tonight. You and I, whether we'd like to admit it or not, whether we put on the mask or not, the Lord sees the heart. We can look past our little outward appearances and the facades we put up, but each and every one of us have to combat the curse of pride. So the question is how? What do we do if, if pride is this curse that is fracturing relationship with God and it's fracturing relationships around us? If we wanna be humble people, what do we do? How do we combat the curse of pride in our lives? So let's keep reading in Philippians 2 because this is what Paul does. Paul doesn't give us a bunch of practicals. He doesn't give us a list of things to do. You know what Paul does? He points us to Jesus. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Verse five, here we go. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Everyone say servant. And being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Everyone say humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Our God statement today, what we're honing in on, what we're focusing in on is this simple reality is that Jesus is Humble. Everyone say, Jesus is humble. I think it's a beautiful reflection. It's a beautiful attribute of God of how he chose to save our crea- uh, uh, us as mankind, his creation. You see, it was our pride to try and take the throne, but Jesus comes in humility and saves us by leaving his throne. In our attempts to be God, God himself saves us by taking on the form of a servant. And to save us from our pride, Christ humbles himself. And I think this is fascinating to me because when I, when I, when, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but when you think about the gospel, when you think about Jesus coming, there are so many ways God could have saved us, right? He, he is God. He, he is creative. He is unlimited in his boundaries. And so, and so he could have saved us anyway, but what is the route he chooses? He chooses the route of humility to save us. Think about it. Think about the humility of Jesus as a baby. One of the most beautiful song lyrics I've heard is is this Hillsong song that says, he could have saved us in a second. Instead, he sent 
a child. Like I know we usually talk about this in Christmas time, but here we are in March. We're just gonna talk about it. Think about this, the God of the ages, the God of creation, the one who said, let there be light and there was light. The one who said, let there be water, let there be animals. I don't know why he made cats, but he did. But, but that same God, that same God who with just one word could do all of that, he chooses to save the world by becoming this fragile baby, fully dependent on Mary, his mother, like that's, that's mind blowing to me, but think about it even further. Think about Jesus' humility as he grew up as a little boy, as he's literally like learning to walk, like learning to eat, learning to do the things we do all the time. You know what I'm talking about? Like if you read in between the lines, like Jesus was like learning how to be human. Like Jesus submitted himself to that process. He could have just come as a conquering king with an army and, and saved us that way or something like that. But Jesus comes as this baby and he, he's raised as this boy. Think about Jesus' humility as a man. Like he experiences the same things you and I experience. Like it blows my mind that of all the ways Jesus went about this, he went the route where he could experience like hunger or thirst or loneliness or grief. Think about when Jesus loses his good friend Lazarus. We see Jesus literally like weeping. Like Jesus wasn't, uh, he was fully God, but he was also fully man where he fully experienced like tears and sadness and heaviness and grief, like heartache. Or I think about Matthew 4 or Luke 4 when Jesus goes out into the wilderness and Jesus experiences real fatigue, real hunger, real thirst, real temptation. Like, like I think we forget that so often in the gospel, like you and I are tempted each and every day, not just with pride, but with a variety of sins. Jesus knows exactly what that's like. When was the last time you were in the wilderness for 40 days, not eating and resisted temptation? Like Jesus is incredible. The humility of Jesus where on his mission to save you, to save me, to save us, he allows himself to fully engage in the human experience. Think about Jesus's humility as a son, as a son of his father in heaven, where he says, I will only do the things I see my father doing. Or Jesus who would constantly withdraw. Like a lot of people knew about Jesus. A lot of people were following Jesus, but what does Jesus do? He doesn't play to the crowd. You know what he does? Scripture says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. Jesus is showing us a better way. Think about Jesus as a teacher. I think about what he taught in Matthew 5, where he said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. He could have said, blessed are those with strong willpower, or blessed are the popular. He could have said any of those things, but what is Jesus' reward? He says, blessed are the meek. Or he gives examples of, hey, if you're ever invited to a banquet, if you're ever invited to something, take the lowest seat. Don't take the seat of honor that everyone wants and is clamoring for. Don't look for the title. Jesus says, actually take the place of a servant. Take the lowest place. And we don't hear that, right? Not in this culture. In this culture, it's all about being the goat. It's all about being number one. It's all about distinguishing yourself. Once again, selfish ambition, vain conceit. We're out here fighting for our own names, our own kingdoms. But what does Jesus do? He models humility as a teacher. Think about Jesus' humility as a healer. I think about him so often when he would heal people, he would look at them in the eyes right after and say, don't tell anyone. Say, say, say nothing to anyone. 
Y'all, if, if I saw like a blind man's like eyes, like if, if, I, if, I, if, if I was ever a part of something like that, I think I probably would be like a lot of us who would be like quick to like pull out our phones and record it and post it and say, look at Jesus. And I'm all about like testimonies, but how many times do we just post stuff in the church context because it has nothing to do with Jesus, but it just makes us look pretty good? Maybe it's only a few of you in here. Maybe it's, maybe it's no one in here. I don't know. But we have to think about that. But Jesus is modeling that. Think about when Jesus heals the blind man. Think about when Jesus, he leads him out of the city. He doesn't do where everyone's going to see it and everyone's going to be amazed. What does Jesus do? He actually goes out of the city. He heals him in private. Jesus is modeling humility in every aspect of his life as a teacher, as a son, as a man, as a healer. Think about Jesus's humility as a sacrifice what he came on this earth to do. Think about the humility of Jesus to experience real life betrayal. And I'm not just talking about Judas who turns his back on him. I'm talking about the other 11 who in Jesus's darkest moment, they run, they flee, they abandon him. One even denies him three times. And I just sense even for some of us here in this room, like as I was preparing this message, even right now, I sense that some of you have like experienced real betrayal and it really is hurting you. But I want you to know Jesus in his humility, he knows what it is to be betrayed. He knows what it is to be left behind or thrown aside. Jesus in his humility as a sacrifice, he experiences betrayal. He experiences false accusation. Think about that. Think about all the times that people have spoken behind your back. Think about all the times people have wounded you with their words, said things about you that weren't true, made up stories, told your school. I know there are stories in here where you've experienced that. But what does Jesus do? He shows us a better way of humility. He remains silent in the midst of false accusations around him. I think about Jesus' physical body being pushed to the limit as he's being tortured, as he's being crucified, but Jesus doesn't lash out. But Jesus in humility simply submits to the process. I think about the kind of death that he dies. Jesus dies a criminal's death. It was agonizing. It was, it was humiliating. That death was, was simply, that execution was simply designed for the worst of the worst. But once again, what is the route that Jesus takes? He takes the route of humility. And he becomes, he humbles himself and becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul is pointing to this reality that Jesus is humble. And Jesus isn't just humble and that's like a nice thing like, oh, Jesus was so awesome. Yes, he's awesome, but he's inviting you and I into that way, into that road, the road of humility. And I think about this, I think about Luke 14, 11. A lot of us have probably heard the statement where Jesus said, whoever exalts themselves will be humbled and whoever humbles themselves will be exalted. This is a beautiful verse that explains the gospel. Friends, look at me. You and I, we have tried and we often try to exalt ourselves and it only leads to us being humbled by being brought lower. But Jesus humbled himself and now he is exalted. 
he is exalted. Because if we look on in Philippians 2, what happens? Jesus humbles himself. Go to verse 8 right here. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. But verse 9 says, therefore... God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, I have news for you. Jesus, who humbled himself, was now exalted. He is exalted above death. He is exalted above every name. He is exalted above every nation. Jesus is exalted above every crisis we will ever experience on this earth. Jesus, who humbled himself, is now exalted. This is why we say, be exalted, God. This is why we say, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to what? The King of Kings. Friends, Jesus is humble, but Jesus is highly exalted. Can I get names? Amen tonight. Amen. Jesus humbled himself and is exalted, and now he is inviting us into this way of doing life. Jesus showed us a better way, and now he is inviting us into that better way. I want to invite the worship team to come up because now it's time to get practical. Now it's time to get personal. Now it's time to, as we've looked at the gospel stories, we've been confronted with our own pride, and now we've seen the beauty of Jesus who humbled himself and showed us a better way, and as he's inviting us into this better way, what does that look like? What does that mean? What does it look like for us to walk this road of humility? So here's what I want us to do now. We're going to bring the lights down, but I want each of you to stand up and to spread out over this room. I'm going to give you guys 15 seconds. 15 seconds. Stand up, spread out. All right, then you can grab a seat right where you are because we're going to be here for a second. This is our moment where we're going to respond. We're gonna respond to Jesus. Because here's the reality, guys. You, you guys don't need one more sermon. <laughs> you guys don't need to hear me talk for 45 minutes, an hour. What we need is to be at the feet of Jesus and to let him work in us, work on us, work with us. So what we're gonna do for the next 15 minutes or so is we're just gonna leave space for the Lord to speak to us. And I think there's kind of three areas, like I was talking about. Paul in Philippians 2, he's telling us to love one another. We'll be known by our love. And he's saying that our relationships are a reflection of our hearts. But the thing that fractures those relationships is our pride. It's the, issue, the issue is the human heart. The issue is our pride. And the answer is Jesus. This is what we're responding to tonight. 
This is what we're responding to. And so I believe tonight what, what I want to lead us into is a time of prayerful reflection. If you have a journal, maybe you can grab a journal if you need to, um, or you can just pray through this, whatever is best for you. But there's three areas that I want us to pray about with the Father tonight. And it's going to look different for each and every one of you. Remember how I said pride fractures relationships, how it either fractures our relationship with God or with other people. And those are the lens that we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us on. So this is what it looks like. We're going to first ask the Holy Spirit to look at our relationship with God. To stop and ask the Holy Spirit, hey, God, how are we? (laughs) Where are we at? Do I see you as God or do I live as if I'm God? I do what I want to do. I do what makes me happy. I decide what's right and wrong. Or are you Lord of my life? I think a lot of the times our failure to submit to scripture and our failure to submit to what God has called us to do is just because we're prideful. Myself included, we're prideful. So I think for some of us, the invitation is to remind ourselves tonight and to allow the Lord to remind us that he is Lord. He is God and we are not. And I think there's a second way of response tonight. It's, so it's you and God and second is you and you. <laughs> Here's the thing about pride is that it's actually just really deep-seated insecurity, right? We know that we're not God, but we try to be. A lot of times maybe we try to hide our weaknesses and our failures because we're afraid, we're insecure. But here's the reality. I want you guys to hear this. When I'm talking about humility, I'm not talking about self-deprecation. Jesus never once self-deprecated to show that he was humble. You know what Jesus did though? He lived as a son. Humility is not self-deprecation. Humility is being a son and a daughter knowing who you are, knowing what the Father thinks about you and says about you. And so for some of us, I think God wants to actually just restore you in you. (laughs) So the first category is you and God. Second one is you and you. And thirdly, it's you and others. Pride fractures relationships. So what are the relationships for you tonight that are fractured? Where is Jesus asking you and inviting you into reconciliation or forgiveness? Maybe asking for forgiveness. So those are the three invitations tonight. So what I'm gonna do is we're gonna leave about 10 to 15 minutes where it's just gonna be the music playing It's just gonna be you and the Lord. The Holy Spirit is the one who now takes over from here. Maybe you're not used to his voice. Maybe you're not used to sitting quietly and in silence. I just encourage you, let the Lord speak to you. Let him highlight areas in your heart. Maybe it's, once again, you and God, you and you, or you and others. Holy Spirit, we make space for you. Like we said earlier, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. 
speak to us tonight. Show us what needs to be restored, whether it's our relationship with you, whether it's our relationship even with ourselves or whether it's our relationships with others. God, would you speak to us? Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.